humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Beaming to you from sunny, it is sunny today, Eden Prairie, Minnesota. I am thrilled to be back to talk to you about idealism and idealists. And, um, and darn, there has been so much that has happened since the last time I taped this show, which was on January 4th. Um, two days before the great insurrection. And I'm taping now on the 11th. And who knows what will happen between the 11th uh, when I'm taping this and January 16th when this show actually airs. Although if you are on Facebook Live right now, you are seeing me in all my splendor and you are getting me live, at least on Facebook Live. I'm going to work on future time lag issues um, and try and uh, not have such big legs. But for now, I am here. I am outraged. I am saddened. And I am motivated to change the landscape as much as possible in light of last week's developments. We have a great show. The big interview is with uh, Jen Bowen, the founder and executive director of Minnesota Women, Minnesota Prison Writers Workshop. And uh, that will be a good break um, uh, from the stream of bad news that we have been hearing. In my C block, I'm going to talk about my response to the January 6th insurrection and where we go from here. But let's begin with this week's featured idealist, a man named Frank Schaefer. And I need to give credit to my friend, and fellow idealist John Anderson, who I've had on this show a couple of times um, for letting me know about Frank Schaefer. And while Schaefer no doubt is idealistic, I am highlighting him because of the message he's been sending about the insurrection. <clears throat> the quick bio is that Frank Schaefer is the namesake of an evangelical theologian who was ultra-conservative. When Schaefer was young, he and his father uh, were very active and very prominent in the evangelical world, and that led them to meetings with uh, Presidents Ford, Reagan, and Bush, who were courting the uh, religious vote. And up till his early 30s, Frank Schaefer identified as a conservative Republican and a part of the religious right. In fact, <clears throat> Frank Schaefer helped produce Ronald Reagan's 1984 book, Abortion and the Conscience of the Nation. Um, Frank Schaefer also went on and helped to produce a documentary, a 10-part documentary about his father, also known as Frank Schaefer, Francis Schaefer, uh, which um, that documentary, Michelle uh, Bachman, we know who she is, don't we, um, said that it had a profound impact on her. Ultimately, Frank Schaefer Jr. came to believe that the religious right was um, both anti-American and non-democratic, something he wrote about in a 2007 book titled Crazy for God. Um, Schaefer now considers himself a liberal Democrat, and in his non-religious career, uh, he became more of a filmmaker and an author, and he's authored a number of books, including a book titled uh, Keeping Faith, colon, a father-son story about love and Marine Corps and the Marine Corps. But the reason I'm sharing with you about Frank Schaefer today is that for some time now, he's been warning about how white, white color 
it's not C-O-L-O-R, white-color evangelicals have come to dominate the Republican Party. Something that many of us already know. What I did not understand until I listened to Schaefer was the extent to which these evangelicals are willing to subvert democracy um, to, de- to subvert the basic ideals supporting this country. Proof of that willingness to subvert democracy lies with the rise of Donald Trump. I mean, think about it. Donald Trump is the antithesis of all things Christian. He's an adulterer. He's a liar. He's a cheater. He's narcissistic. He has, I don't think, a single altruistic bone in his body. Sorry about being so blunt. Usually this show is about unifying, not dividing. But yet, with this person, the evangelical Christians have tied their cart. In fact, uh, in a January 7th post uh, in his blog, Frank Schaefer writes, America's problem is not political. It is religious fanaticism. And I'm going to, Schaefer doesn't only write the blog, but he also says the blog. He has, he has a video on his, every one of his blogs has a video. And I'm going to let him explain in his own words what he is talking about here. I used to be an evangelical right-wing extremist. I quit the evangelical movement and fled. And for the last 35, almost 40 years, I have been a liberal activist that mostly votes for Democratic candidates. My father, Francis Schaeffer, called for violent overthrow of the U.S. government in his last book, A Christian Manifesto, where he said that if Roe v. Wade wasn't reversed and abortion made illegal by democratic means, then we had a right to revolution. Well, last night when the Capitol was attacked, the evangelicals who were in the forefront of that attack were the kind of people who were influenced by him or influenced by people who were influenced by him. My family was responsible, and I was responsible as the nepotistic sidekick of Francis Schaeffer, along with C. Everett Koop, Ronald Reagan, Surgeon General, people like Jack Kemp, the congressman and candidate for the vice presidency who introduced me to the president, the folks that helped me like Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell establishing the moral majority for what happened last night. Without evangelical participation, Trump would not be president. If you want to personally thank someone who made Trump president, talk to Franklin Graham of the Billy Graham organization. Talk to Ralph Reed, the political operative who cashes in again and again and fundraises and makes millions off his evangelical activism. America does not have a political problem. We have a religious fanaticism problem without which none of this would have happened. If it wasn't for evangelical churches, organizations, pastors, newsletters, radio hosts, going along with Trump's lies, supporting them, supporting him when he was elected, supporting him through his villainous presidency, and even to today, we would not be where we are. We have squeaked by, by the skin of our teeth, of having a democracy this morning at all. We are only barely hanging on with our fingernails at this point. But the media does not get it. They have never taken the evangelical movement seriously. They talk about the Rust Belt. They talk about Appalachia. They talk about the low pay of working class America. All true, but 
they ignore because they are afraid to delve into and get into the truth of what white evangelicalism has become, which is a white nationalist racist movement, xenophobic, myth-based. The theology is a myth. The stuff evangelicals believed in did not happen. The stuff they do not believe in, science, global warming, democracy, did happen. That's Frank Schaefer. He goes on to say the evangelical Christians don't want a democracy. Rather, they want a white nationalist theocracy, uh, the American Christian version of Iran. This is, no doubt, a very powerful perspective. So powerful that I actually thought you should hear it, and we should. I thought that we'd play two minutes, two minutes and 47 seconds of Frank Schaefer saying what he did. Now, I also want my listeners to understand that I am not against religion or against God. Um, everyone should have the right to worship as they see fit. You just shouldn't be able to use religion as a means of destroying democracy. That's all. And I also know that some of my listeners right now maybe consider themselves evangelical Christians and and and. Hooray! I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you are listening. But please understand this, okay? When we put our faith <clears throat> that should be placed in God or Jesus, but we then place that faith in a man, a totally, completely flawed man, um, one who has no moral compass, one who does not understand the value of compassion— or of listening, or of understanding the human condition as others might experience it. When you place your faith, and I'm just using the euphemistic you, okay, not my particular listeners, but when one places their faith in a human so flawed, it is inevitable that we are going to have huge problems. The insurrection on January 6th, was the manifestation of placing such blind faith in a flawed human. It was. And we in our country right now have a great problem because there is no easy off switch here. None whatsoever. So think about that. Uh, Frank Schaefer, all you have to do is Google Frank Schaefer. You'll find his blog. He's got a website. He's got a lot of stuff on there um, that is um, informative. So he's also been on Rachel Maddow, just so you know. Um, I mean, I did screen the guy to make sure he was okay for, for this show. All right. When we come back from our break, I'll do the big interview with uh, Jen Bowen. You're going to enjoy uh, listening to her and hope you enjoy the show. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the reuse warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. 
Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota.com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. We're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, so um, Frank Schaefer, a name to uh, remember and maybe something, uh, a name to go investigate at his uh, website. All right, well, I've got another name uh, now for the big interview that you're going to want to remember. I have uh, Jen Bowen on the line from me. She is the founder and curator of the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop. Jen, are you there? I'm here, Ellie. Thanks for being on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Yeah, I need to let me. I need to let our listeners know a little bit about you. You are a writer, and yeah. uh, you've had stories that have appeared in The Onion, uh, The Sun Magazine, Kenyon Review, Iowa Review, The Iowa Review. You know, I'm an Iowan, so I am well aware of The Iowa yeah. Review. And um, you've uh, taught at The Loft in the past, and uh, but most importantly, we have you here because of the Minnesota Prison Writer, uh, writing workshop. And I've got to tell you, Jen, the reason you and I are talking is about a month ago, I did a story, a piece on poetic justice mm-hmm. out of Oklahoma. And, uh, and I was so moved by finding out about poetic justice. Again, another writing program started by a woman. And then I just Google, I'm like, hey, Minnesota writing project or writing programs for prisons. And your program came up. And that yeah. is why we're speaking, okay? Um, I'm glad you reached out. Yep. Well, I really appreciate you being here. And, uh, you know, writer to writer, I always want to make sure that writers have an opportunity to talk about what they're passionate about in their work. So why don't you, um, let's start off by telling, uh, explaining to our audience, what is the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop? How did it get started? And uh, what, what does it do? You bet. Um, so we are a nonprofit organization that teaches in every adult facility in the state of Minnesota. So there are 10 total. Um, and Red Wing is the youth facility. We're in all of them but Red Wing. And we teach creative writing throughout the year. We run um, a writer's collective in most of the facilities um, alongside the students. They're sort of independent-led um, writer's collectives that can meet outside of class. Um, we have a mentor program. So once a student has been through the class, um, they may take uh, up to four-year one-on-one mentorship with a mentor of ours. And we have a literary journal, a reading series. Um, basically, we're a really vibrant creative writing community um, on the inside-led kind of in collaboration with the students that we work with. Okay. Well, you make it sound um, pretty uh, standard, but it's not. <laughs> no, it's, 
So there is the story here. And if I understand the story, um, what, about five or six years ago, you started knocking on the door of the Department of Corrections um, offering to teach writing to people who are incarcerated. Do I have that right? Yeah, but more or less. It was um, closer to 10 years ago, nine to 10 years ago. Okay. If you, do you remember the summer of the government shutdown? I do remember that summer. It was that summer that I started emailing, and I emailed every warden in the state, and one and just asking if I could come in and teach. And I had finished my MFA, and I had a few publications under my belt, um, and I'd always wanted to teach creative writing. And of the wardens that I emailed, one got back to me, and that was um, then Warden John King at Lionel Lakes facility. Um, which is a medium security facility, and, and um, he's the one that said yes. Okay, but um, let's go even back a little bit further. Sure. Why? How did, oh, how, did that, this come, how did this yeah. come about and why? Yeah, so in my graduate studies, I worked with a writing mentor who had done a lot of work um, with an incarcerated writer, um, Damien Eccles, who is now out, but... Um, my mentor, David Joss, spoke pretty highly of the experience, and he's one of those men that I just respected um, so fully hmm. and completely that I would have done just about anything he um, suggested. I mean, he didn't tell me to do this, but I I watched him talk about it being one of his most rewarding life hmm. experiences. And for somebody who is as incredible as he is, that's, um, that was a pretty weighty testament to me. So. Um, there was that. There was the fact that I wanted to teach creative writing and not composition, which I'd done and didn't enjoy. Um, and I also have um, a few family members that have been incarcerated off and on and, and um, had done some work in sort of technical trade community colleges with people who were not necessarily coming from families that had gone through years of education. And I myself was the first person in my family um, to go to college. And so all of those things combined just made me curious about the experience. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the sort of easy answer, I guess. Well, it's a, well, it's a great answer. Um, what I love about the fact is that your mentor, David Joss rippled mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. You know, and, yep. um, part of my work is, I mean, all of my work is about idealism but I'm often talking about how we ripple to each other. Absolutely. You know, either positively or negatively. And, yep. um, and, and he rippled to you. Does he know about all the work that you've done? He does. I tell him all the time that I just imprinted on him like a little duckling. And um, <laughs> I have father issues. And so he knows that too, because he's read all my creative work. Um, yeah, he's, he's a supporter of the work. He's a good guy. Okay. And he absolutely knows. I bring him up a lot. Okay, so... So you uh, you get into Lino Lakes as your first um, um, entry into the Department of Correction system. How did that go, and uh, what happened after that? Yeah, um, you know, it was it was um, surprisingly easy, and by that I mean the Department of Corrections in Minnesota does a pretty good job of very actively trying to embrace um, educational programming. I mean, there are always staffing issues and, and certainly mm -hmm. logistical bureaucratic right. things to push, but right. the people in the system who are educating um, really appreciate folks who are willing to come in and do that. So um, I taught one class and ended up, we out of that class, six people stuck around and we just kept extending the class because we were having so much fun. It was a survey course of three genres 
and everyone was revising and everyone was writing and I was so excited about what they were writing and how hard they were trying um, that we just really gelled. And so in a lot of ways, I think of those six students as co-founders of the org because we just had a really magical experience together. And at the end of that class, we held an in-class reading that the administration came to and the warden and the commissioner, um, the deputy commissioner, there were a lot of tears in the room um, as the folks that I was working with read their work. And I asked afterwards if I could come back and, and maybe find other writers to join me. And they they were really excited about it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know everybody expects the, the story to look differently, but they truly no. did say yes from the beginning, um, which was wonderful because I'm not much of a fighter, you know, it's <laughs> just... They said yes, and that was amazing. Well, you may not be much of a fighter, but obviously you're very persistent because the program has expanded now, right? Yeah, yep, absolutely. All right, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Jen, we've got to take a break, um, but when we come back, I want to hear more about how the program has expanded, um, but I also want to hear about the transformative experience that writing has done for the people that you're working with. Sounds great. Okay. All right. Great. All right, listeners, we're speaking to uh, Jen Bowen, who is the founder and artistic director of Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail. I love hearing from listeners. Follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. When we come back, we'll continue talking to Jen Bowen. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. Better Futures Minnesota. Ellie 2.0 Radio, AM 950. Uh, Before we took our break, we were speaking with Jen Bowen, who is the founder and artistic director for the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop. And Jen had explained to us right before the break about how she got into uh, Lionel Lake's uh, prison for what sounded like a pilot attempt at uh, getting this off the ground. And it was well-received. And Jen, take us forward. What happened after that? Because this thing has taken off. So go ahead. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so I I held a meeting at Hamlin University. They were kind enough to open their space. And I think 30 writers showed up to, oh, geez. <laughs> to participate. Yeah. And there were a few that asked if it would be good for your career. And those are the ones I disregarded quickly and others that just had an interest in the work through Jimmy Baca or, you know, uh, all kinds of other reasons that um, were a really good fit. And six or seven of us went in the next year um, from there. And I wish I could name all of them, but Kelly, Nell, Peter, you know, just a really uh, Wendy, a wonderful cohort of instructors, most of whom are still involved in the program. And um, we spent a few years just growing. And now we are 25 instructors so- strong, um, approximately, I would say, 50 mentors working at any given time. And our classes are about 30 hours of contact time each. And so we should calculate sometime because I don't have the number, but tens of thousands of hours in the facility working one-on-one with um, writers on the inside. And I'm sure you guys know this. The sentence lengths are so long. Um, It is the case that most of the writers we work with, we've been working with since day one. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and um and many of those folks, um, no doubt are are people of color other than the white skin color. Yep, you bet. It's a yep. super racist system as we all know, and um that's been one of the challenges and strengths of the program as we've grown. We've gotten better about learning how to represent the student body that we're teaching and um yeah, it's and you know, I'm sure it's no secret to your listeners, but it's um it is an incredibly racist system. It is, and it has to change. Um, yeah. And 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 I, I my hope is that this program that you're doing, I mean, at least humanizes people, um, you know, who are invisible in our society. And yeah. okay, so you you so it is expanded. You're in all of the adult prisons now. Right, mm-hmm. all the Correct. adult facilities it, in Minnesota. State facilities, yeah, not faci- county or federal. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And um, hold on, before we do anything further, I want you to plug the organization. How can they find out about you? They want to send you some money. How can my oh, listeners yeah. do that? <laughs> we, will, we will gladly take your money. Uh, if you go to mnprisonwriting.org, there's a tab for donating. Um, you may do it there. And then we also have a very active Facebook presence. Our social media volunteer, Sue Wong, is posting on the daily. And so um, you'll always be up to speed with our ongoing, you know, goings on by checking out Facebook or Instagram. Okay. Well, and you're going to, you'll get an audio file of this interview and you can put that on Facebook if you want to. So, yep. Thank you. Okay. So now um, we've got about nine minutes left. Okay. Now let's talk about the important stuff. The humans. Yep. What are you hearing? And how are you, how, how is giving people the ability to write, to share what's inside their heads, how is that transforming them and you? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's no surprise to anyone that probably the most toxic part of prison aside from you know, the real obvious um, things, the, you know, the horrible diet and the, the you know, whatever the... Dehumanization, yeah. The dehumanization, I think, is is possibly the hardest thing to come back from. And I've heard so many students say that um, that they just forget that they have worth. And that's that's what the system wants, right? That's, that's basically um, the overriding 
goal of the system or so it seems to strip people who are in prison of their humanity and writing is a pretty defiant uh, response to that because it insists on um, an individual having a voice and a vision and a dream and a way to articulate all of that and so I just can't think of a more powerful way to kind of combat the system from the inside than maintaining you know your control over your mind and your voice and your heart through writing and reading and and you have some you have some snippets right I sure do so we get asked this question a lot and it's mildly uncomfortable to answer on behalf of students who are you know obviously silenced by circumstance and design and so um so yeah we've collected a lot of these and they're all just so powerful and i would love to tell you a little bit about the reasons they think writing is important to them while they're locked up sure um, do. yeah one student um c who writes um, primarily prose says a chance for art to flourish in such a forbidding setting is important not because the art will be amazing or because it will be sold but because it helps us feel connected to the world even if it's a world we have to write ourselves Wow. Yeah. Um, Reese says it's through literature I learn how to live. Hmm. Um, Jeff is a multi-genre writer. He says here my humanity and spiritual existence is affirmed and celebrated. It's here I'm rehabilitated, reformed, and corrected. And he puts those three words in quotes. Or whatever other penal terms are used to justify placing humans in cages, not by threats and punishments, by the magic and power of sharing stories, encouragement, and love. And then um, one thing we haven't talked a lot about is the role of sort of just the creative community. So there's the writing and the work on the page, but there's obviously also just something so wonderful inside or outside about having a community. And especially as you probably know, Ellie, if you're a writer, sometimes that can just start to feel sort of lonely and crazy making. Oh yeah. And so a big, yeah, a big part of the um, program is around community building and, and, um, we're very aware that the prison can kick us out at any time. And then the folks inside will be left, you know, to function without you know, artists coming in and which is very doable for them because they are artists themselves. And so um, I would love to read to you what B says about his creative community. Okay, please do. Uh, yeah. To sit in a small intimate space with other writers who share the experience of my circumstances, who uplift and encourage, who amaze and support, who love and hate my poems. This is how words can become scaffolding. A community of artists raise each other up above the ground, above the unforgiving walls, above time spent silent to perform tasks that take us to unexpected heights. It's through sharing stories and poems that we build new spaces without walls. Wow. Yeah, I know. I work with some pretty incredible writers. <laughs> wow. And thinkers. Yep. How um, the imagery is beautiful and the word mm -hmm. scaffolding. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. No, I really do think that we work with some of the best writers in Minnesota. Um, they have a lot to say. They've got urgency. Um, yeah, they're incredible thinkers. Well, and you have, so once a year, at least before the virus, you were having an event at Hamlin, were you not, where where at least the, the, the teachers were able to read the works of the students. Do I have yeah, that right? You do. So we, we've held that annual reading every year for quite a few years. Um, this year, we were able to hold it virtually. And because of our work with um, Emily Baxter, uh, we are all criminals. We've got a 
um, collaboration with her called The Scene Project, where she has featured a lot of student work um, through audio and video. So this year, for the first time, we've been able to actually show the writers reading their own work. Um, oh, my gosh. I, did, I know. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we have oh, had, well, well, we've had Emily Baxter on the show. Um, mm, she, okay. because she's an idealist. Sure. I did sure. not know that she had, you know, migrated out to doing that work as well. Go ahead. Yeah. I interrupted you. No, no. I was just going to say a lot of our audience members have, have become sort of, um, cult followers of some of the writers, you know, they love glitter squirrel or B or, you know, they have the, the right. writers that they adore. And, um, so often, um, they show up every year waiting to see what, you know, what this writer has done in the last year and this year for the first time. Um, via Zoom, we were able to show a lot of their faces and have the audience hear them read mm. their own work for the first time, which was really meaning and meaningful. And how is it working with COVID now? I mean, are are your instructors still going into the facilities? No, it's awful. Do you want me to whine about it? Because I would love to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are teaching remotely. And so there's no internet access in prison. And obviously the infection rate there is substantially higher than on the outside so they're locked down and we send packets in and this spring term we're converting all of our teaching to um, recorded video that we're going to send in that they'll watch on tv channels and then exchange work oh boy that is packets and education that is so difficult oh my goodness i mean everyone is struggling with the pandemic we're not alone in that but um the isolation and illness is what worries us most and um Yeah. yeah it's just a it's 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 just pretty awful. So, Jen, um, I've got about two minutes left, and I need to ask you this question because everybody who comes on the show gets this question, and that is this. What made you an idealist? Yeah, I hope that this does not ruin the whole show, but, I'm Ellie, I'm not even sure if I am one. I think of myself as a pragmatist. and That's okay. I think that this... This stuff is it just makes sense to me. I grew up with a mom who was a hospice nurse and a stepdad who was a special ed teacher. And it seems like you just take care of people. That's just what we do. And to me, that seems pragmatic, not idealist. Um, well, I'm, I here, don't know. I'm here to tell yeah. you it is idealistic. <laughs> <laughs> it's your show. You get, to, you get to call the shots. But, no, um, but you yeah. know, it's, it's, I mean, you're trying to change the world in, in a small way, but you are trying to do that. I mean, I, I don't mean to be diminishing it. It's a big way yeah. for all the folks that you are working with, Yeah. you know, in terms of the way society treats those folks, right? I mean, absolutely. But, and I don't think there's an instructor in the group that wouldn't say that they haven't changed our world as well. Um, we we learned so much, um, unfortunately, about isolation and right. yeah. And so, Chen, but also resilience. Yeah, go ahead. No, no. Can you imagine if we could get these words with a greater traction, with a greater greater showing? to people outside the facilities. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how we might be able to change attitudes? I Yeah, I agree. I think it's so powerful. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people would be um, surprised in ways that they shouldn't be, but still would be at mm-hmm. the, um, the waste that is our carceral system. Um, just putting people, yeah, um, behind bars, I think 
you know, and throwing away the key for indefinite periods of time, I think, I think the world would be really pleasantly surprised at um, the vibrance that is there. Okay. Well, Jen, you know, I think I could probably talk to you for a whole hour or two um, about writing and about the impact that it has on humans. I'm a living example of that in, in the sense that I was a lawyer and only knew how to write like a lawyer, and then I had to mm-hmm. learn how to write like a human. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it certainly has changed my life. Um, yeah. And I, I know, and I, I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you for what you've done and are doing and what your colleagues are doing as well. And thank you to the people who you're giving voice to, the humans you're giving human voice to. I want to make sure they know that I am thankful for them and for their voices. We'll be sure to let them know. Thanks for remembering. All right. Well, thank you for being on Ellie 2.0. Okay? Yeah. Thank you, Ellie. All right. Listeners, we've been speaking with Jen Bowen, who is the founder and artistic director of the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop. Go and um, and check out their website at mnprisonwriting.org. And if you're inclined, please donate. Um, when we come back, uh, we will do my C block, and uh, that'll be uh, the show. Thanks a lot. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you. Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out reusebfm.com. That's reusebfm, as in betterfuturesminnesota.com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. On AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio, Ellie Krug here. Um, okay, Jen Bowen, the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop. Please investigate it. Um, I, you know, I am, and it's not all about Ellie Krug by any stretch, but I am proof that uh, just about anybody can be taught how to write because I could not write before I started taking classes at the Loft, and um, uh, the Loft Literary Center in downtown Minneapolis. And, um, and I've got to tell you, I mean, the idea that you can go into a fortress where humans are treated inhumanely and give them 
a voice. Allow them, help them put onto paper what it is that is in their head and their experience as humans and then share that with the world. I, my God, transformative. It really is for them as well as for the listeners. I just love getting some of those snippets. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we're in my C block now where I talk about my work as an idealist or about life events that happened to me as a transgender person or somebody trying to change the world. And to be honest with you, I am at a loss of words today. I am. As I've said at the top of the show, I'm taping this on Monday, January 11th, um, five days after the Capitol insurrection. And as I watch the images of glass being broken, mobs pushing into the Capitol and people roaming around and looking for our elected leaders to harm them, I felt a deep, deep sense of despair. It was surreal. I mean, the kind of thing that you'd expect to see in other countries, but certainly not in the U.S. All right, so whenever you're ready, go ahead. Of course, none of this should have been a surprise. Trump has forever signaled uh, that he didn't understand how democracy worked, much less did he care about democratic principles. Moreover, there were so many opportunist, opportunistic politicians like Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, who are happy to ride the Trump train. Yet in the end, we are left with human nature. We humans are fearful. We all have core fears, like the fear of dying alone or the fear of getting um, a life-threatening disease. We all have those fears. But one of the things that most humans also fear is bullies. We do, for some reason. And, and maybe it goes back to the savannah, and maybe it goes back to the, you know, the, the, the one in the camp that was the one that pushed everybody around, that was the one that, you know, got all the sexual favors and had the first meal. I don't know, okay? But we are all afraid of bullies. That would include me too, okay? And Trump is a bully in the most basic sense. Um, and what many do, is to try and please bullies, or to at least just simply go on. Uh, so uh, we, we got here in part because of a big bully with a big megaphone platform in the form of Twitter. The other fear at work here, so one is a fear of bullies. The other fear at work here is the fear of other. You know, other, not us. Um, you saw that the skin color of 99% of those storming the Capitol, you, know, you saw what color it was. It was white. And many white color people fear that their towns um, will be overrun and that their jobs lost to non-white people and or to people with religions other than Christianity. It's an irrational fear, but it does not matter. The fear is what motivated thousands of people to spend hundreds of dollars to get on planes or to drive hundreds, maybe thousands of miles uh, to go to Washington, D.C. with the goal of, quote, taking back our country, unquote. Think about that. And what was behind that? We heard from Frank Schaefer at the beginning, and a lot of what was behind that was churches. 
you know, and, and all you had to do was to listen to the mob, listen to some of the snippets about them praising Donald Trump, you know, as the second coming, as Donald Trump, as good, and you know, as good as Jesus. How do we get past all of this? First, we have to get rid of the bully. Uh, that seems to be happening. Um, thank God. We'll see. Second, and you have heard me say this before, and I will continue to say it from now on. I'm sorry, but it's true. Secondly, we have to talk to each other. We do. We need to create an army of trainers and facilitators to go to greater America, to host conversations where people can talk about their fears and where they can be taught that regardless of skin color and religion or socioeconomic standing, we all, all of us want the same thing, to be safe physically and emotionally, for our children to succeed. And we all want to love and be loved. We do. All of us want that regardless of what color your skin is, who you, what religion you practice, who you pray to, what, how you identify sexually or by gender. We all want those same things. And yes, this is the work that I do. And I have witnessed, I am here to testify, I have witnessed how that work can succeed, how it can change attitudes in people. But we have to do the darn work. We do. And it has to occur on a grand scale like we've never, ever seen before. Here's hoping uh, to the fact that America is up to the hard work of talking about our fears. But if we continue to run away from that, if we refuse to talk about those fears, I suspect America, as we know and love it, will end. All right. That's another show on a not so positive note. Sorry. Um, a big thanks to my sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Um, and a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett's been uh, doing a little bit of hard work today. Um, but Brett, you are fantastic as usual. And my listeners, a big thanks to you. Please, I hope you're enjoying this new time frame. Go out and tell people about the show, please, but go out and do something to make the world better. Tell me about it. Email me at ljkrug at gmail.com. I'll be back. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.